Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Businesses of all sizes have been affected by COVID-19. In response to this, Postmedia Solutions has created a five-step guide aimed to help you adapt your business during this global crisis. To get this free guide, visit postmediasolutions.com adapt. As the spread of coronavirus slows across Canada, the business community is starting to look at how to restart the economy and what that reopening might look like. But what role should financial institutions play in getting back to business? And what responsibilities do they have to help people recover from the crisis? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, we're joined by Tamara Vruman, President and Chief Executive Officer of Van City, Canada's largest community credit union. The Vancouver-based credit union has $28.2 billion in assets and assets under administration and more than 540,000 members in British Columbia. Tamara and I discussed how the pandemic has affected Van City's members, how banks, credit unions and the government responded to the crisis, and why Canada's economy needs to avoid a second lockdown if it wants small businesses to survive. So I want to start by talking about the just the massive effects of the pandemic so far. We saw 1 million jobs lost in March. 6 million people have applied for emergency government benefits, and it's not even the end of April yet. What's been your reaction to the speed and the scale of the financial hit from COVID-19? Well, certainly this has been unlike anything that we have seen uh, before, certainly in my lifetime, and and not as many people are saying uh, for uh, several decades or, or even generations. And so while those numbers are shocking, frankly, I expect they will uh, continue to get worse if, uh, if the pandemic persists and the economic shutdown persists. You know, you can't take a thriving, vibrant economy and turn it off overnight without uh, significant um, economic fallout. And that's what we're seeing for sure. What are some of the key issues you're seeing that your clients are facing during this crisis? Well, certainly one of the uh, issues that we're monitoring very closely is the fact that, uh, first of all, we expected businesses when we announced the uh, six-month loan deferral and uh, waiving of fees and taking credit cards interest to zero, we expected those in the service sector in particular, the tourism sector, restaurants, hair salons, those kinds of things to be coming forward requesting assistance. And certainly they did. But actually, we've seen the requests right across the economy. Virtually no sector has been untouched by the pandemic. And so we have been interested in the breadth of the fallout that's happening uh, here and really paying attention to it and making sure that we're designing our supports as a member-owned cooperative to make sure that we're staying in touch with our members right across that spectrum. That breadth is really interesting. Was there one sort of industry that surprised you to see to see the effects from the pandemic? Certainly uh, in our market, uh, the real estate and the construction uh, industries have been, construction has continued and not been, dec- uh, and been declared 
declared an essential service, so that work has been continuing. But we still see that the effects on the real estate and the construction sector are significant here. The other thing I think that we really are paying attention to is, you know, we had a pretty big affordability challenge here in Vancouver going into this situation. And while it was abating a little bit because uh, of the leveling off of real estate and, uh, and rental rates, what we do see is those that had vulnerability going into the crisis were particularly vulnerable almost right away. And we are worried when we think about the recovery, how we're going to make sure that that underlying inequality is something that we collectively address. How has the crisis affected Van City's own operations? I know you are the largest credit union in the country. Certainly, there's no part of our operations that haven't been affected. Uh, you know, we are uh, we are a member-owned cooperative, so we are owned by the people we serve, and we take the uh, need to serve our members very, very seriously. And then the province also clarified that uh, banking and financial services was an essential service. So we have had to, with our health and wellness and well-being of our staff top of mind, fundamentally redesign every part of our business. So we have about 3,000 employees and we have uh, had to move to a smaller footprint in terms of the number of branches that are open, but we have three rotating shifts to make sure that our staff are working one week in a branch, one week supporting the extra services that we've put on to support members through our call center. So taking calls uh, from a remote location and then one week of respite and off time with their families. Kids are home from school and daycare, all the things that all of us are dealing with. So we found that that blend of working really allowed us to make sure that we could be open to serve our members who needed to see us in person increased our call center and online capacity significantly because that's where we want most members to deal with us and many, many members are serving, uh, are choosing that channel. But then also really uh, recognizing that, you know, many of our staff, just like the staff who are working in grocery stores and other places, didn't consider themselves frontline emergency uh, workers when they uh, when they took a job at a credit union. And so giving them the kind of shift work and respite that we see more often in emergency responders and in uh, emergency healthcare has been a really important part of us supporting the health and wellness and the recovery of our staff. And it's worked really well. You know, where other organizations are seeing still significant numbers of staff uh, phoning in saying they're unavailable for work because they either have huge issues uh, to manage at home or they're just frankly afraid for their own health and safety in the workplace. Uh, we have had almost zero absenteeism uh, at the credit union. Have you had to resort to any layoffs or salary cuts, anything like that? Or, I mean, it does sound like the financial institutions are quite busy, busier than they have been in a while. Yeah. No, we have not. Uh, we certainly are busier than we have been in a while. You know, on a typical day, we would have about uh, maybe 1,500 calls to our call center. We regularly now get about 5,000 a day. So it's been a significant uh, uptick. We have not uh, had any layoffs. And we've also tried to keep our contracted staff and our contractors, the people who clean our buildings, our security guards, uh, those kinds of folks uh, employed with us as well. Now, the federal government has been leaning on financial institutions like your own to help people out throughout this crisis. You've mentioned some of the measures you've taken briefly. I'm wondering if you can walk us through what are some of the emergency response programs Van City has implemented in response to the pandemic? 
very uh, early on, uh, we knew that paying loans and making loan payments and cash flow issues would be an issue for not only our small business members, but our retail members alike. And so we had a program in place left over from the 2008-2009 financial crisis, actually, a loan deferral program uh, that was allowing our members to defer payments for three months. So we stood that up very, very early in the uh, pandemic. And then when the banks went to six months, we extended ours when it became clear that this was going to be a longer issue to six months as well. We also have waived fees on all electronic and ATM transfers to ensure that people feel that there's no barriers to using those channels. And at the same time, we have also taken our interest rate on credit cards down to zero for the next six months for those affected by COVID-19. You know, there's virtually not one part of our lives that you don't have to try and do online now. So making sure that our members have the maximum funds available for the daily purchases of groceries delivered, medicines delivered to their home was really important to us. And we've had uh, almost 2,000 members take us up uh, on that offer. We will have created two loan funds, particularly focused on small uh, small business members and self-employed individuals who are having to pivot during this time and change their operations, maybe making investments in digital or online delivery or or changing up some of their uh, processing to process hand sanitizer and health-related services. So two $50 million loan funds will be rolling out today for members, and they have six-month interest-free periods of up to $150,000 for for businesses and 10,000 for individuals. We also had a, um, for those people who were uh, not as affected from an employment point of view, but experienced some real uncertainty because of the changes to the stock market and uncertainty in their pension funds and so on, we created a unity term deposit, 12-month guaranteed term deposit at 3% interest, hoping to raise uh, $200 million that would go directly towards supporting uh, small business and members members in our community affected by COVID. We thought we would raise that over an eight-week period. It actually sold out on the 17th of April, so two weeks ahead of time. And we've been really pleased with the members' response to that. So there's been quite a few things we've been doing. We also are an agent, uh, as the big banks are, for the federal go- government's uh, funding. We were able to stand that up and process that uh, quite quickly within 24 hours of those programs becoming live. So we're certainly acting in that capacity as well. Now, how much are these measures going to cost Van City? Is this what does this mean for the credit union's operations? Well, we certainly, you know, the way that we put it is uh, because we are a member cooperative, you know, we've always been about members helping members, particularly in difficult times. And while we run, I think what you'd call a progressive financial institution in terms of our social responsibility, how we treat our employees and how we view the climate, we actually run a pretty conservative organization financially. So we had built up over good times, uh, many, many reserves, both in the form of capital and liquidity that hold us high above the regulatory thresholds. So now's the time when we need to deploy those reserves. And so for sure, it will affect our earnings this year, but we will uh, still be very profitable and we're not coming anywhere close to uh, having to dip into the liquidity or capital thresholds at this time. Now, you said that you're also helping the government deploy some of its emergency measures. Those have so far included loans for small businesses, wage subsidies, and direct support for people who have lost their jobs or a large chunk of their income. How would you evaluate these measures so far? Have they gone far enough? What's missing? What do you think of the government response? 
We um, were at the table with the big six banks when the government was designing these. And so I really appreciate the fact that they consulted with the, the financial institutions, with the banking and credit unions, in order to try and get the money out the door very, very quickly, but also in a way that would be easy for us to, to navigate. And so, I mean, I think what we're seeing is as the pandemic progresses, there's been lots of gaps that have been identified in those early programs where I think the government has done a very good job is they have uh, seen those gaps and closed them often within days or hours. That makes it a little bit challenging, frankly, to be able to explain to our members whether they qualify for X or Y uh, program. But that's a what I call a high quality problem in this context. Um, you know, it's better to have those funds available than uh, than not. So I personally have been impressed with the amount of agility and flexibility the government has shown. I now really am hoping that they're focusing on what this all means at the end. So, uh, what we really have done is just pushed things off for a time and uh, directed some funds to allow people to uh, tread water over this uh, economic lockdown period. But what the recovery looks like, how quickly, how we'll pace it, how we'll give both businesses and individuals certainty so they have confidence to go back out and participate in the economy again, either as consumers, investors, or as employees, that is going to take quite a bit of discipline and focus. And so that's where we're really looking for the government's lead, and we'll be here to, to support them and do our part. Now, financial institutions like yours and the big six banks, you said, have been at the table. The big six banks have also deferred mortgage payments to the tune of almost 700,000 mortgage payments and have completed some 290,000 credit card deferral requests. What do you think about the response from the financial institutions as a whole in Canada? You know, what, what should be the role that they're playing in a snap crisis like this, that with the great lockdown just seem to happen really overnight. Absolutely. When you think about it, the last crisis we had, which was nowhere near of the scope and magnitude of, of this one, the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, where our industry, the banking industry and financial services was at the heart of that issue. What happened then was our sector and the government asked ordinary citizens and businesses in the real economy to do their part by spending and stimulating the economy, right? And we see and we know that as a result, they became, uh, they did their part, they became more indebted, but they definitely got the economy going again and supported financial institutions to be able to strengthen over over the last decade or so. So now is the time when we uh, take the support and the strength that we have as financial institutions and we need to allocate it back to uh, people in the real economy and so to, to get that balance back. So that's why uh, I really think that uh, now is the time for banks and credit unions to be offering their balance sheet in support of ordinary people, as ordinary people offered their household balance sheets in support of big banks in the past. And so whether that means, you know, foregoing a, a little bit of profitability while still maintaining the significant liquidity and capital strengths that our banks uh, in Canada have, now's the time to do that. We'll collectively be better if we smooth out this crisis and its recovery to more people and businesses and allow them to not only bridge, but get them restarted again uh, once the pandemic starts to lift. 
it's interesting to think about, you know, the the banks using this time to step up um, sort of in the opposite as w- of what happened to 2008, mm-hmm. 2009. Obviously, the big banks in Canada do not have a profitability problem or certainly did not before this crisis happened. I'm wondering, where do you see the balance of responsibility as we navigate a crisis like this when it comes to government action versus financial institutions versus individual responsibility that, that people need to take for themselves. You know, Canadians obviously have been hit by something that that is not a reflection of what they have been doing, but a reflection of these travel restrictions, these economic shutdowns. That said, there, Canadians were still very indebted when compared to citizens in peer countries. So I'm wondering, where do you see the balance of responsibility lying in a situation like this? It is interesting to to reflect on because when you think about it, first of all, the first part of your question with respect to banks, you know, banks are unique businesses in that uh, I don't know of any other business that has a portion of the liabilities on their balance sheet uh, guaranteed by the government and therefore the taxpayers. And in this case, uh, those liabilities take the form of deposits and are guaranteed by deposit insurance, which really means the government, which really means um, the citizens of, in our case, uh, Canada. So, Why would a government do that? Well, governments do that because since the Depression in the 1930s, they've understood that banks play a vital role in smoothing the economy, particularly in times of uh, of difficulty. And so they provide that stability to banks with the expectation that banks will use the considerable data, resources, capital, acumen, connections to uh, to businesses and to people to be able to allocate those funds when people need them. So it is quite important that that banks and financial institutions play the role that we are designed to play in times like this. The government of Canada also has a, a role to play. Uh, the federal government, you know, they have done a, a tremendous amount in the last little while. We still have among the lowest debt to GDP ratios of any G7 uh, country, even on a per capita basis at the end of this pandemic. I think we're number six out of seven uh, with only Germany being uh, having a uh, lower uh, per capita debt to GDP ratio. So we have a fiscal room there. Uh, we need to use it responsibly, of course, because we don't want to indebt unnecessarily future generations, but we have room. We built the discipline and we have room. Now is the time to use it. And individuals have absolutely done their part, as I said, by taking on additional debt burdens. Some, if they've been privileged enough to own assets, uh, have also experienced the asset valuation that has increase that has come with that. And so their balance sheets are looking better from an asset point of view, but many, many have been struggling with affordability. And so we need to make sure if we want to keep those people uh, working and uh, engaged in our economy so we can grow our economy after the pandemic, we need to make sure that uh, both the government and financial institutions are doing their part to support individuals and businesses. When it comes to starting that growth again after the pandemic is resolved, whenever that might be, you mentioned that Vansity is already kind of starting to think about what that might look like. I'm wondering, first of all, 
when do you think things are going to return to normal, whatever normal will mean in the future? <laughs> that's a question that I wish I had a specific <laughs> answer to, the question that's on everybody's mind. I do think that, as many people have uh, have said, that the going back to full normal uh, is going to take some time. And until we have absolute uh, uh, confidence in our ability to control COVID-19 from a health perspective, either through a very effective and widely available vaccine or other measures to at least test and treat, it's going to be unlikely that we can resume uh, to, to full normal. It is my own hope that what we must avoid at all costs is where we start to open up the economy again. We do it too quickly or we get it wrong or we don't have enough data and it goes to lockdown again. I think that would be devastating for the sort of social and psychological health of, of the population, but also devastating for the economy. Many businesses that are just getting by and can make it if we start to have a gradual opening again, I doubt would survive a, a second lockdown. Plus, all of the money and the time that we have spent uh, getting through this lockdown a little bit would be for naught, right? And we'd have to start all over again. And so that's the situation that from a business point of view, I'm really supporting our health leaders in this province to say, we'll support you to get that right. Because I think it's our, in our collective interest to have a gradual, but ideally uninterrupted reopening of the economy. Now, how is Van City preparing for that? I know BC has had some success flattening the curve. It appears to be doing quite well compared to other provinces. So this this must be top of mind. What does a gradual reopening look like and how are you preparing for that? We certainly are looking at a number of scenarios. We've designed our operations uh, so that we could operate this way for the foreseeable future if we are required uh, to do so. So um, we feel very confident in our current abilities in, in that regard. But some of the things we're thinking about is how we uh, gradually return our operations to normal and what that would look like, given that we've moved in such a significant way to shift work and to some other ways of working in terms of working from home. We're also looking at how we can start to uh, work with our members proactively. So a lot of members have simply deferred debt payments. So there's going to be quite a bit of work to restructure those debt payments over a period of time and re-amortize them so that, so that members have an ability to not just come out of the crisis and be hit right away with a big uh, deferred loan uh, payment, but that they're able to smooth that out over time. So we're thinking about how we proactively reach out to members so we can start to do that work. And then the third thing is the thing that uh, I talked about earlier, which is getting some products and support out to self-employed and small business owners in particular that are allowing them to retool so that when things start to open up, they have the maximum chance of being able to open up fully, uh, open up safely, and uh, either welcome their employees back to work or welcome the customers safely uh, back into their premises. What role do you think financial institutions will be able to play for those hardest hit by the crisis? I'm thinking those small businesses you were just talking about, or the people you know who are working at those small businesses in retail, restaurant, travel industries, all very important in British Columbia. What's going to be the most helpful thing the banks can do? 
you know, one of the things that has really shifted a lot in banking over the last decade is how automated everything is. You know, it really is. Everything is auto adjudicated from a credit point of view. We have uh, a lot of uh, transactions and credit analysis and savings analysis all done by big data and so on. This is actually a time where uh, a one-size-fits-all approach is unlikely to be successful. And so if I could have one request for uh, colleagues in the banking sector, it would sort of be to go back to the old-fashioned days of banking, actually, where we understood the needs uh, of our, in our case, members and their case clients and customers in different regions, in different contexts, in different sectors. And we were really proactively reaching out and understanding what their needs are and seeing if we could offer debt restructuring, credit consolidation, savings uh, support, partnering support with other businesses who might be in a similar industry in order to get supply chains going locally again, those kinds of things. So rather than just having it really be automated at scale and a one-size-fits-all, now is the time for us to be uh, sort of uh, the old-fashioned in-community citizen bankers where we really are in touch with the people we serve and understanding their unique needs. It's a time, it's a really a, a time for, for being connected. That one-size-fits-all solution might not work so well going forward. What other big lessons do you think Canada's financial system can take away from this pandemic? Certainly one-size-doesn't-fit-all is uh, is absolutely uh, one. Uh, the second is really being able to move quite quickly when, we, you know, Canada's banking system has an enviable reputation around the world for being well-run and well-capitalized. And that is really important. But it is important that we take that liquidity and that capital and use it. And so the second lesson is we don't save it for savings sake. Just like ordinary people, we have savings for that rainy day. And this is definitely a rainy day if ever there was one. And so how do we responsibly but quickly deploy that liquidity and that capital to those who most need it? It'll be in our collective interest in the future to do so. And then third, is also uh, banks are huge employers of people. And so how are they thinking about those employees? One of the things I think the banks did really well is uh, many of them agreed that where students had summer internships with banks, they said, we're going to honor those because we know those are our future employees. And we know that those folks are going to be particularly hard hit because there's not a lot of other uh, options. So really paying attention to the future and thinking from a future-oriented point of view uh, is also one of the key lessons. What are sort of some of the permanent changes you see lasting from this pandemic and the, the ways we've responded now? You know, one of the things we've said, I've heard said about the pandemic from a health point of view is it doesn't discriminate. It hits all, we're seeing it hits people from all walks of life and all age groups pretty equally. But the economic fallout of the pandemic absolutely discriminates. And so people who were vulnerable before are particularly hard hit. People living with disabilities, people who were in the gig economy holding two or three part-time jobs, people who are living paycheck to paycheck, those folks were particularly hard hit and they will be the most hard hit during the recovery. 
those who are doing well, uh, I think, and who are lucky enough to stay employed or have their businesses operating during this time, yes, it's been a period of change. But those businesses and those individuals, I think, will do okay, actually. And one of the things I worry about is that the top line numbers, because so much of the assets and the wealth are concentrated in that latter category, will mask the growth in inequality that has happened underneath. And again, if we don't really pay attention to that, our ability to collectively thrive as a country and to build a successful and resilient economy in the future will uh, will also be vulnerable. So I am, I am quite worried about sort of the structural inequality that we, uh, that we saw before the pandemic, but that is absolutely going to be magnified after. Tamara, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate your insight and your time today. Yeah, thanks very much, Emily. I appreciate it. That was Tamara Vrooman, President and CEO of Van City Credit Union. Thank you so much for listening to Down to Business. And as always, thank you to our team. Music and production by Bryce Hall, editing by Yudula Hussain, and web support by Pamela Heaven. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. Down to Business will be back tomorrow with our special series on shockproofing Canada. I'm Emily Jackson, and until then, you can get all your business news at financialpost.com.